This is episode 35 of the weekly eye-catching words podcast, published on the 1st of August Welcome to the Eye Catching Words podcast, or welcome back if you've listened before. I've got a new format this week, which I'm going to try and experiment with, which is to talk in extempore fashion, i.e. without a script, for about 20 minutes without hesitation, deviation or repetition, or possibly quite a lot of all three of those. The focus will simply be on what I've been up to in the last week, which may be very boring or maybe very, very interesting, depending on where I've been and what I've been up to. If you've listened recently, you'll notice I've just come back from Lisbon, which was not just interesting, but fascinating. If you haven't been there, make sure you go. So start the week with Wednesday, the 25th of July. Now, the week for me always starts on a Wednesday because I publish my podcast on a Tuesday. So last Wednesday was my wonderful wife's birthday. And we had that rare phenomenon, a lie-in, followed by breakfast with certain other members of our family who popped in. We then did something really indulgent, which was to watch the end of a film. Midnight in Paris with, amongst many others, Owen Wilson. Now, if you've never seen this film, I would recommend it. It's charming, it's lightweight, it's typically Woody Allen. But I didn't realise until I watched it again this week just the extent to which Owen Wilson is actually channeling Woody Allen. It's got that lovely, hesitant Woody Allen, fatalistic, what do we do while we're waiting to die quality about it. One of the really nice performances actually comes from Kathy Bates, who critiques Owen Wilson's book when he goes back in time to the 1920s. I should have said actually that the whole point of this film was that a contemporary American in Paris finds some kind of a weird way of going back to Paris of the 20s. And in doing so, he gets to meet people like Ernest Hemingway, um, Bunuel, uh, Dali, and so on. Cathy Bates plays the part of Gertrude Stein, whose salon was the centre of Paris life for so many, particularly American expatriates, but also artists such as Picasso. Now, Gertrude Stein critiques a copy of Owen Wilson, uh, Owen Wilson's book. Listen to this wonderful comment she makes whilst talking to him about what the purpose of his writing should be. Hello, Miss Stein. Oh, Pender, I'll get to your book in a moment. I finished it. We're just in the middle of a little personal crisis. Oh, okay. Should I come back? I, I don't want to interrupt. Oh, no, it's, it's no secret. Adriana has left Pablo and is... Flown to Africa with Hemingway. Sabía que tenía una excepción con este fanfarrón. Ya hemos hablado de todo esto. Esto seguro se regresará muy devoto, muy devoto. Oh, he took her hunting kudu, but she'll be back to him. The sound of hyenas in your ears at night when you're trying to sleep in a tent just drives you crazy. Mount Kilimanjaro is not Paris. What did you say? He took her to Mount Kilimanjaro? Now, about your book. Yeah. It's very unusual indeed. I mean, in a way, it's almost like science fiction. 
We all fear death and question our place in the universe. The artist's job is not to succumb to despair, but to find an antidote for the emptiness of existence. I mean, you have a clear and lively voice. Don't be such a defeatist. Wonderful stuff. So one of my main presents for my lovely wife were tickets for Hamnet, which we'll be playing later this year in the West End after premiering at the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-on-Avon. Now, Maggie O'Farrell's book is a, a really wonderful book. I read it last year. Uh, and Hamnet is on a limited run, although you never know with these things whether it might get extended. Anyway, we bought tickets, rather I bought tickets for us to go and see it in December because it's pretty much booked out before then. If you're listening to this and you fancy going because the adaptation is by Lolita Chakrabarti who did the Life of Pi adaptation for the West End stage. If you're listening to this, you may struggle to get tickets at all, even for the run into next year. But have a look anyway, because it, it should be absolutely brilliant. The day after my wife's birthday, we had a severe weather event when a hurricane blew in from Australia. Should we call it Hurricane Karen? Just drawing a name at random. This particular hurricane was in the shape of my sister-in-law and her husband. My sister-in-law has the most amazing amounts of energy. She thinks nothing of coming in and saying, right, should we go to London today? And then after that, let's go to Cambridge. And oh, I fancy going to Beachy Head. She's got a thing about Beachy Head. Don't ask me why. Uh, we picked them up, at, or rather my wife picked them up at the airport as they flew in from Australia at lunchtime. And after that, everything just descended into the joys of reunification there is nothing quite like catching up with family that you haven't seen for a long time and we are blessed or cursed with family who live in places as far apart as canada or australia so we know what it's like to do the big hug at heathrow airport we didn't take too long to get ourselves into gear we sat in the garden for a while which was surprisingly good weather uh, then we went to a wine bar and got drunk, came home and ate. The jet lag was too much, even for forceful personalities such as my sister-in-law, and they crashed out at nine o'clock. But this set the tone for the rest of the week. Now, on the Friday afternoon, one of our expeditions was to go up to London. My wife and her sister were already there and had had a wonderful walk along the river at Rotherhithe which if you listen to one of my earlier episodes you'll know we did an audio description of and some interviews with local people but when i met them in borough market in the afternoon which was obscenely busy by the way uh, we decided to grab something to eat and then take the tube up to st james's park so that we could do that walk across st james's park green park and hyde park before we went there we bought some sabich in borough market now sabich is an israeli food although really it's a uh, common across the uh, middle east and is actually of yemeni origin and contains aubergine and harissa paste and something called shug which is a wonderful oily herb concoction all served with vegetables in pita bread. We love this so much that we actually have tried to recreate it ourselves with uh, quite a good degree of success, actually. Anyway, I mention that because if you would want to try something new, look up Sabich, S-A-B-I-C-H. 
and try and uh, get you can get the ingredients the harissa paste and the shug and uh, the other ingredient is something called amber which is a kind of mango chutney with a lot of chili in it uh, you can get all these ingredients uh, on the internet the walk across high park or st james's park green park and high park was taxing but really lovely um our parks our raw parks are very well maintained and you can actually get a cup of coffee without having to take out a second mortgage although we did stop in a cafe near bond street for uh, our coffee there is also a rather wonderful sculpture uh, of geodetic design quite near the serpentine gallery which is well worth looking at i haven't been up that way for a while so it was really nice and the weather was very very good now the saturday was busy but rather brilliant we went to see the house in hampshire where jane austen lived this was our entertainment for our australian visitors uh, who don't have many things like thatched roofs out in oz chawton which is where her house was just down the road from chawton manor her brother's sizable home is a really lovely little village almost in fact stereotypically british with a tea room and a pub and of course a manor and the home of a famous Georgian writer. You are reminded just what a wonderful period the Georgian era was. We were talking about it later and I said that I much prefer the Georgian era to the Victorian era and I mean I would love to know what happened between the Georgian and the Victorian eras when that flirtatious colourful almost joyful style of living became dominated by a kind of hypocrisy and an overbearing religious and mercantile sense of privilege that came with empire. Now, one of the things we found at Jane Austen's house, which is a museum of all things Jane Austen and her family, was a poem written by her mother about baking. Listen to this. It's we recorded it at the Jane Austen house uh, with the input of my family. If the vicar you treat, you must give him to eat a pudding to hit his affection and to make his repast by the canon of taste be the present receipt your direction. How am I doing so far? Well, I'm not sure. What it is. Yeah, Bristol is it? Okay. Yeah. First, take two pounds of bread. Be the crumb only weighed. Do they rhyme? I don't think. Wed. Wed. For the crust, the good housewife refuses. The proportion you'll guess may be made more or less to the size that each family chooses. Spelt C H U S E S. Then it's sweetness to make some currants you take and sugar of each half a pound. Be not butter forgot and the quantity sought must be the same with your currants be found. I think I've slipped into a, Nor yeah. a Norwich accent. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So, so, as long as we avoid the brummy and the manky. Yes, go up north. <laughs> and mace you will want <laughs> with roast water I grant and more savoury things if well chosen. 
I thought she was going to rhyme with fry. I thought she was going to say. Way to go. Then to bind each ingredient, <laughs> you'll find it expedient of eggs to put in half a dozen. <laughs> I thought she was going to put like chosen rhyme with frozen. Yes, she's not, is she? Some milk don't refuse it, but boiled ere you use it, a proper int for its maker. And then, and the whole when complete, in a pan clean and neat, with care recommend to the baker. I think I've, I think I've actually got into like 17th You're century right. South London. Right. I think this is really good. Right, I'm going to finish with a flourish. In praise of this pudding, I vouch it a good one. Or should you suspect a fond word, to every guest, perhaps it is best two puddings should smoke on the board. Board does not rhyme with words, it's for the record. Two puddings, yet no, for if one will do, the other comes in out of season, and these lines but obey, nor can anyone say that this pudding's without rhyme or reason. (laughs) Uh, Thank you! Thank you! Anyway, it was lovely. We had a disastrous pub lunch because of well-intentioned but disastrous people running the pub and didn't know how to manage a kitchen. But that was something we overcame. We moved on. We went home. And in the evening, we went to see the Christopher Nolan movie Oppenheimer. Now... You don't need me to tell you, but Oppenheimer is a must-see film. All the critics are saying so. Uh, ignore all the stuff about Barbie, Hi- Barbie and Heimer and about doing it as a double bill. We have seen Barbie, but um, this is a very different kind of film. Three hours. Now, there was much speculation amongst our party of seven uh, about who would fall asleep and who would stay awake. Now, I'm very good at falling asleep anywhere. I can fall asleep in the theatre, the cinema, I can fall asleep standing up. Uh, I even once at work fell asleep in a meeting. In fact, more than once I've fallen asleep in meetings, but my my great achievement was to fall asleep in a meeting with one other person. Now, in my defence, it was when I had young children and a big workload still, and they took it very well, I have to say, and suggested we reconvene another time. But I can fall asleep very easily, but I didn't even go near it with this movie. Oppenheimer had me riveted for three solid hours. I don't think I took my eyes off the screen. I think I even reached for my can of drink and my sweets in the dark because I didn't want to take my eye off the screen. It's got a stellar cast. I mean, it really, really has. And although one or two of the people involved, such as Matt Damon, play the usual kind of characters they play. Most of the people involved, uh, particularly uh, Emily Blunt, actually really, really impressed the way she just acted in a way I've never seen her act before. But to be fair, it's one of the meteor roles she's ever had. This is not a film about the atomic bomb. It's not a film really about nuclear war. It is a fascinating film about a character in the shape of Oppenheimer who was instrumental in delivering the first nuclear weapons and was morally conflicted and was uh, in many other ways a flawed human being even if he was a brilliant intellectual. This movie is essentially a whodunit focused on one individual person and a big part of that is about the relationship between Killam Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. I'm not going to say any more. Go and watch it 
and you will find it absolutely riveting and fascinating. On the Sunday, we received a photograph from our daughter who's walking the Pacific Crest Trail in California, or now actually is in Oregon. You may have had this experience. I mean, I had it many years ago when I was uh, about 40 years ago and I was up a Malaysian mountain and bumped into a patient uh, that I had known at a psychiatric hospital in South London. That moment when you meet someone on the other side of the world and completely out of context. So our daughter sent us a picture of a man of a certain age, I suspect about my age actually, he was also walking this Pacific Crest Trail. And as it turned out, when they started in conversation, he came from Woking. Now Woking and Oregon are <laughs> very different places. But what are the odds of meeting someone from your hometown when you go and do a 2,750 mile walk like the Pacific Crest Trail? She thought this was hilarious, as did we. We also had a really lovely experience of meeting uh, the parents of our young son's girlfriends uh, who uh, are Hungarian. And we had a, an unusual experience for us of trying to communicate. Our Hungarian is non-existent, their English is limited. We had uh, uh, our son's girlfriend doing a lot of translation for us, but it was absolutely lovely. The takeaway from this is that you can sense how nice people are even if you can't speak the same language or can't speak much of the same language. They were lovely people and it was so lovely to come away after a couple of hours feeling that you had got to know them despite all the linguistic barriers. <clears throat> also on the Sunday, our Australian visitors flew off to Scandinavia which uh, was, or to Copenhagen, which is the first leg of their grand tour of Scandinavia, which will take in, I think, every Scandinavian country. Wednesday to Tuesday week ended with a great deal of cleaning and a great deal of gardening and recreating the sabich that we'd eaten in Borough Market. We did also play a board game, which I would recommend. Uh, but I would recommend playing it regularly rather than leaving it too long because you forget the rules. It's called Azul. And the reason I mention this is because it's a beautiful board game and the idea is to create a tiled wall. And I'll give you a clue as to the sort of idiosyncratic nature of this game. It is about the uh, tiles that they produced in Portugal, but it opens with the words... Um, the player who starts the game is the one who has most recently been to Lisbon, which of course didn't help us because we went to Lisbon together. Although I did argue that as my legs were longer, I would have been the one that left uh, Portuguese airspace first, which meant that my wife would have been the one who was most recently in Portugal. Anyway, we played the game uh, and really nice it was too. So that was the end of my week and it was an eventful week and I have to say a generally happy week apart from one or two personal issues lurking in the background which I will not go into here. Let's just say that on Tuesday morning I briefly dipped into my work mailbox and received an email from the Health Service Journal which if you work in the NHS is the, uh, the, industry, the industry magazine. The email said or the, the subject of the email was, are you ready for the next stage of your NHS career? 
which is hugely ironic given the place I'm in at the moment. So that was my week. Uh, I hope your week was as good as mine. It was full of love and full of interest and full of excitement. There were one or two notable events in the world at large, one of which was that England managed to win the fifth test match, which was brilliant. And for the first time in a long time, I was actually getting anxious about a sporting event and kept going back and checking the scores. I was actually really delighted. And if you saw the joy on the England players' faces, particularly Stuart Broad, then you will know what I mean. The thing that got me angry this week, perhaps inevitably, was Rishi Sunak. Now, Rishi Sunak has decided in his wisdom to issue a hundred new licenses for drilling in the North Sea. Uh, I found this remarkable and it was definitely on the back of the Uxbridge election result, which I talked about in last week's episode. BP has reported net profits of two billion pounds for the three months to the end of June and all that Rishi Shunak is doing is looking to create a windfall in terms of revenues from North Sea oil that they can plough into next year's pre-election period because what they want is to have a war chest so that they can bribe people with tax cuts and incentives. And of course, once they've won the election, we'll have another five years of Tory misery. Do not be fooled. Do not be fooled by this Prime Minister. We may have to wait another 15 or 16 months before they have to account to the electorate, but account to the electorate they must. That's all from me this week. I hope you have enjoyed the more conversational style of podcast. We're going to play out with a bit of music from Midnight in Paris, classically Parisian street sounds. Enjoy. <laughs>